Thank you. All right, there we go. October 23rd, 2016. Some of you may have that, uh, that date marked on your calendar. Season 7 of The Walking Dead comes out. For those of you who are not familiar with The Walking Dead, um, just be honest, I've never watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. All the information I have on The Walking Dead came via Wikipedia, and so thank you, Wikipedia. And so Walking Dead, it's basically a group of people that are trying to stay alive in an apocalyptic-type environment. Zombies have taken over, and hey, it, it sounds strange to me. I've never seen it, but if you're 18 to 49, it is the number one series uh, for people 18 to 49. It's, won, it's been nominated for several awards, even the Golden Globe Award. Um, there's no other way to say it. The Walking Dead is a phenomenal hit series. Now, for our purposes this morning, I want to draw your analogy, draw an analogy to zombies. Um, hey, I just think it's cool if you can preach and draw an analogy to zombies, but nevertheless. Now, think about zombies. Now, if you are under the age of 10, zombies are not real. Okay, just make sure everybody knows that zombies are not real. Uh, zombies are kind of like personified people who have no souls. They have bodies, they function, but their bodies are separated from their souls. They go through life just sort of existing. They go through life going through the motions, if you, if you will. Now, here's, here's, here's how we can kind of relate that to what we're looking at this morning. In, in being a follower of Christ, if you're not careful, you're going to become a spiritual zombie. You find yourself existing, just feeling like you have no purpose. You feel like you have no spiritual life in you. And you know what? Maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. And you've prayed a prayer maybe as a child, but in your spiritual life, you just feel like you're just kind of going through the motions. You feel like there's, there's no life, there's no vitality in your spiritual life. Uh, you know, I mentioned this last week. Why is it that sometimes we see people... man? They'll ask Jesus Christ to be their Savior. They'll surrender their lives to Him, and, man, they'll take off. And it just, it just seems like that, that person has done a complete 180 in his or her life, and, and man, they are just on like a, a spiritual uh, growth on like steroids, growing for Jesus. And then there are other people, they, they pray and they surrender their life to Jesus, and maybe they start out doing pretty good, but then six months to two years after they pray and receive Jesus, they just look like the same person. I mean, there, there's no spiritual fruit in their life. Why is it that some people thrive in their walk with Jesus and some people just kind of fizzle out in the end? Well, in this parable, now parable is just like an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. What we discover is that the problem is not with the message of the gospel. The problem is not with the messenger of the gospel. The problem is with your heart. Okay, the problem is always with our heart. The earthly story in this context, it's called the parable of the soils. The, uh, it has to do with seed, it has to do with soils. Now, it's, it, what we just read in verses 18 through 23 is an explanation of what Jesus said in verses 3 through 9. In, in verse 4, he spoke of, hey, there was a sower, he went out to sow, and, and some seed it fell by the way and the birds ate it. That, that speaks to the truth that sometimes the message of the gospel is veiled and is taken away by our spiritual enemy, who is Satan. You've seen people like that. 
you go and, and you try to share Christ with them, and, and they immediately shut you down. They say, I don't want any part of what you're talking about. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. I think it's all a hoax. I don't want anything to do with what you're saying. I've seen people like that, right? You've met people like that. It's, it's just the seed that's sown and trying to sow, sow in their heart, but their heart is so hard, they just won't receive anything. Now, the next two parts of the parable, that's where we really want to camp out. It's two situations that have the potential to make you into a spiritual zombie. It has the potential to make you where you just go through the motions of your faith. Now, I want to present it in such a way, just because of who I am, I want to present it in such a way that it's kind of a positive in our life. Uh, what can we do to make sure we don't do that? What do make sure we do this so that we begin to thrive in our life? And here's, here's where the Lord just kind of put this on my heart. We're, talking, we're in the middle of a series on foundation in our walk with Christ. One of the most foundational elements in your walk with Christ is that you don't stay the same once you become a follower of Christ. In fact, the Bible says that you are to grow as newborn babes. If you're not growing in your walk with Jesus, there, there's something really foundational wrong in your relationship with Christ. Now, these are some things that have the potential to stunt your growth, but if you, if you, if you stay away from these things, it will actually help propel you in your faith with Jesus. And so there's two parts, two situations here. And here's the first thing. If you are going to thrive as a follower of Jesus, you have to have a biblical view of pain and suffering. Now Jesus says this next part, where this gospel is sown, it's, it's rocky ground. And this, this sower scatters seed on the rocky ground, and the seed produces a plant, and it comes up, but when the sun comes up, it, it scorches the plant, and the plant dies. Now, Jesus says, this is the one, he hears the word, verse 20, he hears the word, and he receives it immediately, he's a joy, he has no root in himself, but he endures for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And so he gets saved. He, he prays and he asks Jesus to be his savior. He surrenders his life to him, but then when a hard time comes, when a difficult time comes, when, when something happens in his life, he immediately is scorched and is burnt up. He doesn't stay. Now listen to me. I want to be as honest as I can. If you follow Jesus for any length of time, you are going to face pain and suffering and disappointment. Things are not going to work out the way you wanted them. Your job is not going to be the way you wanted it. The doctor is going to call and confirm the worst of situations. Your children are going to wander away from the truth. Your marriage is going to face difficult times, maybe even end in divorce. Uh, someone that you love is tragically killed. You live with chronic pain. And here's my question. As a follower of Jesus, what are you going to do in the midst of those difficult times? And you see, that's where many people, we lose it in our faith. We, we live in a world that is very consumeristic, right? We live in a culture that says, um, I want this and I want this. And, and here's what happens. We bring that to our faith in Jesus. Uh, Jesus, I want you to do this for me. We, Jesus, I want you to end all the pain and suffering in my life. And we come to Jesus because he thinks he, we think he's a therapist that is going to fix us. We, we think Jesus is a life coach and he's going to lead us on this path. We think he's a financial advisor. And, and if I come to Jesus, I'm going to get good financial wisdom in my life. We, we think of Jesus more like a genie in a bottle than we do a Savior that gave his life for us. 
And at some point, you're going to face a crisis in your life. And you're going to be hit with a hard truth. You're going to be hit with the truth. And you have to understand that Jesus saved you through suffering. He did not save you from suffering. There's a big difference between the two. You're going to become face-to-face with this idea that your salvation does not end all problems in your life. In fact, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, sometimes those problems will intensify in your life. Why? Because you are a new baby in Christ, and sometimes Jesus has to take you through a fire or a trial or an adversity because he needs to create life in the midst of what you're going through. But Jesus says this, in the midst of your problems, I'm always working to produce something in you. I am always working to strengthen you. I am always with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So what do you do when Jesus doesn't meet your expectations? Someone put it like this one time. For many of you in in your spiritual lives, you need to have a Copernican revolution. You know, up until the 1500s, when we had the Copernican Revolution, everybody thought the earth was at the center of the solar system and everything else revolved around the earth, right? And then it was in the 1500s that this guy Copernicus comes along and says, that's not true. The sun is at the middle of the solar system and everything else revolves around the sun. And see, for some of you, the, the reason that your, your growth in, in Christ is stunted, the reason that you're more like a spiritual zombie than a thriving follower of Jesus is that when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you tried to put him in, a, in the midst of a cycle that everything revolved around your life. You tried to fit him in with your finances. You tried to fit him in with your family. You tried to fit him in with your career. And you are still the center of your life. And that's not what being a follower of Jesus is. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, He becomes the center of your life, and everything else begins to revolve around him in your life. And so your marriage revolves around him, your finances revolve around him, your kids revolve around him, your career revolves around him, your hobbies revolve around him. And see, for some of you, when pain and suffering and crisis hit, because your life is not centered in Christ, you begin to run away from him. You see, if you want to thrive as a follower of Jesus when these, these times of crises hit, when these times of pain and, and suffering hit in your life, you don't run away from Jesus. You press deeply into Jesus because he's the only one that's going to see you through the midst of the difficult time in your life. Now listen, I'm not implying that pain and suffering does not hurt. Please don't hear me say that. I'm not implying that there won't be tears that there won't be sleepless nights but i am saying that instead of running away from jesus because he didn't meet your expectations that if you'll put him at the center of your life you'll draw closer to him and receive strength and grace in the midst of your difficult time so if you want to thrive you want to grow you've got to have a have a biblical view of pain and suffering and hardship in your life but now secondly here's here's the next thing This next idea speaks of having a biblical view of of stewardship. I'm just going to label it stewardship. It it, it speaks of that seed that was sown among the thorns. And so you get a, man, we're in eastern North Carolina. You get this this planting uh, analogy. It's the seed that's sown among the thorns. It it, it grows and it begins uh, begins to bear life. But then 
the, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, it chokes out the good stuff. I've got nut grass all in my, in my yard. If you go by my house, right now there's several little orange or brown spots in my yard because I sprayed something on that nut grass to kill the nut grass, but there's, there's Bermuda grass under that that the nut grass had choked out. And that's what he is saying in this text. There was, uh, there was a person that came to faith in Jesus, but the desires and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, it becomes unfruitful. The deceptions of life choke out the believer. Now, I want you to see the difference between these two. In, the, in what we just talked about, it, it fell away immediately. Y'all, y'all see that in the text? There's no root there, and so immediately it falls away. Uh, this one that is deceived with the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world, it chokes it out. Uh, that happens over time. It, it is a very slow process in which this life of the believer, it, it is choked out. In, in my, I mean, I'm not a scholar. I'm, you know, I'm not these person, that person who you know, can back this up with statistical data, but I think of teenagers right here more than I do anybody else. The, those people who graduate high school and, and never uh, come back into faith. What's happened? Well, there are the cares of this world. There are the deceitfulness of riches. I want to go make a lot of money. I want to to go and have fun. I want to do this. And the cares of this world have choked out the life of Christ in their life. You say, well, well, how does that happen? Well, there are several ways it can happen. And by the way, let me say this. This is really for people like you and me. I remember the first time I ever flew on an airplane. 2004, it was Thanksgiving break, I was in college, a friend of mine was going to see some of his family in San Diego, and so I flew on an airplane for the first time out to San Diego to visit with uh, his family, and while we were there, I don't know if you know this, y'all, y'all have heard of David Jeremiah, right? Okay, so David Jeremiah's church was there in San Diego, so on uh, that Thanksgiving, we went to church with uh, David Jeremiah, saw him live in person. And, and that particular Sunday, David Jeremiah, he, he made this statement, and it just kind of stuck with me. He said, if you have uh, money in your pocket, so a wallet or you know, money in your pocket in some way, you've got a checking account and a savings account, you're in the top 8% of the richest people in the world. You know, most of us, we like to say, well, I'm not rich. Maybe by not American standards, but according to the world standards, you're in the, most of us are in the top 8% of the richest people. Okay? And so when he talks about the deceitfulness of riches choking out the word of life, the, the truth, the, the gospel in our life, people like you and I who live in the Western world, we, we really should perk up and pay attention to what he's saying. Okay, so, so how does it happen? Let me just, just kind of throw this analogy out there, and it's just completely um, hypothetical, completely make, made up. And so let's say Lisa and Rusty, they, they get saved, and now, now they're coming to church, and they're smiling, they're in love, and and they've got, you know, two children sitting there with them this morning. they got a third in college. And, and so things are going well, man. They're, they're starting to grow in their faith, and they're enjoying their family time. And they say, you know what? We're, we're able to give. we got a little bit left over. I think we should buy us a camper so that we can go and enjoy some family time. And so they work it out in their budget. I can go. I can buy a camper. I can still give. And so we're going to buy a camper. And so they buy a camper. And now they've got this camper, and they say, well, we can't really take advantage of this camper because, you know, we're at church every Sunday, so why don't we take one weekend a month and we're going to go enjoy our family time and we're going to go somewhere uh, in our camper. Well, there's just one problem. Have y'all ever taken a camper somewhere and it not cost you anything? 
I mean, when you go someplace like that, I mean, you've got to pay for it. And so now they're, they're, they're gone one week a month. They said, well, we can't really afford to tithe and do this. And so we're going to cut back our tithe. We're going to just tithe three-fourths of what we would. And so now, now, now they're, they're gone and they're not tithing like they should, and, and, but they're enjoying their family time. And then they get down there and they say, you know what? You know, it's kind of tiresome. We get tired of, of pulling this camper back and forth. And, and I'd really like to be closer to the beach. And so there's their campground. They've got a special. We can, we can leave our camper at the campground right there. And they say, well, you know what, man, this would just be really, really great family time. And so they park the camper down at the beach. But now here's the problem. Everything that they were given, now they're, they're investing it in that. And that. But now they're coming to church still, you know, like two weekends a month. And then next thing you know, they're having this conversation. Well, you know, we're really putting all of this money into our camper being down there. It just seems like such a waste that we're not using that money. I think we should go three weekends a month from now, and we'll just go to church when we can. And yet, that may seem like a silly analogy, but that's often how it works. It's just a slow fade, a slow progression. I mean, there's not anything wrong with the desire to spend family time. But now, this deceitfulness of riches the cares of this world. Let's just go and enjoy. Let's just go and have a good time. Let's just let's just live it up while we can. And yet you've just fallen further and further away from who Jesus is. You've fallen out of ministry. You're no longer reading your scriptures. You're no longer reading the word. You're no longer investing in prayer. You're no longer investing in other people. People are dying and going to hell all around you, but all you're saying is, let's enjoy the time that we have. Never mind, there's 4,000 people groups who don't have a, who have no um, witness for Jesus Christ. They're unreached. Never mind, there's 2,000 people groups on the face of the earth that are unreached and unengaged. Never mind, there's a community around us where you live that, that needs the hope of the gospel. We say, let's just go live it up and have a good time. It's the deceitfulness of riches. And see, we've got to have a biblical idea of stewardship. At some point, here's what you're going to have to ask yourself this question. Am I following Jesus for what I can get from him? Or am I following Jesus to be with him? Boy, that's a good question. Am I following Jesus just because I want to go to heaven and maybe, maybe he'll bless me with some riches? Or am I following Jesus because I recognize that he's the Savior of the world, that he loved me enough that he shed his blood for me on a cross at Calvary, and I want to be with him every single moment that I can. You see, at some point in your life, you're going to come to a crossroads. Your desires are going to say, Miss Shirley, go this way, and Jesus is say, what's best for you is you for you to go this way. At some point, every single one of us is going to face that. And the question is, are you going to follow your desires or are you going to do what Jesus asked cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches will drag you down every day. J.D. Greer, he tells a story. Um, he's the pastor of the Summit Church in uh, Durham now, Durham, South Hill, Raleigh, that campus is everywhere. But he tells a story. He, he served for two years in Southeast Asia as a missionary. It, it was not a very fruitful time of ministry in his life. He'll, he'll tell you that. But he tells a story. He was in, a, he was in one village, and uh, Somebody who lived in, in another village, um, who wasn't a believer, 
But new JD, JD called him. He said, there, there's somebody I have that needs to talk to you. And so he gets on a bus and he got, drives three hours, rides three hours to a different village. He gets there at midnight, goes into a coffee shop, and he, he sits down in the back room with two Muslims, one of whom his name is Fahar. He, and this JD's friend tells him, Fahar has had some dreams, and I told him you were a Christian expert, and so you've come, and maybe you can help Fahar in, in his life. And so Fahar begins to tell the story. He said, one night, about a month ago, I had a dream. And I was walking through this field, and it was, it was just nothing. It was, it, it was just like my life. It, I felt like I was just walking for years and years and years, and in the middle of this field, there was just nothing. It's like my life. It's just nothing. And then suddenly in my dream, somebody called out my name from behind me. And, and as, I, as I turned around, there stood a man clothed in white with his face shining bright and said, Fahar, if you want to get out, and he put out a copy of the gospel, this is the only thing that will get you out of this field. He said, immediately I recoiled because in my Muslim world, I knew that that was a Christian writing and I didn't want anything to do with that. And so as I recoiled, I woke up in my, from my dream, sweaty, I mean, just, you know, like you would think a man was awakened from a nightmare, but he says, and immediately I realized I had made a mistake. He said, the next night I go to sleep, and I, I'm, I'm in this dream, and it's the same dream. I'm walking in a field just like my life. It's nothing. And this voice calls to me as the same man, Fahar. Here's this book. It's the gospel. If you want to get out of this life, you've got to take it. And he said, and in my dream, he said, I could just see my hands trembling, reaching up to take it, but then I just couldn't. And immediately I woke up and knew I had made a mistake. He said, the third night, I went to sleep, and in my dream, there was no field. I, I didn't have any of that. I was just suddenly face to face with this man. And he said, Fahar, this is the last time. If you want to get out, you've got to take the gospel. And he said, as a Muslim, I watched my trembling hands go up and grasp the gospel. And I embraced it. And he said, so now, you are here, can you tell me what my dreams mean? So J.D. says for two hours in that coffee shop, about past midnight, he explained the gospel to this Muslim man. And at the end of the two hours, when he gets to the gospel, he, and he begins to share that, that Jesus was God who had come down from heaven to give his life on a cross, Fahar began to say, God is great. And J.D. said, Fahar, would you like to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior? And Fahar said, yes, I would. And so there in Southeast Asia, he said, Fahar, would, would you bow your head and close your eyes, and I'll lead you into sinner's prayer, and you can pray and receive Jesus as your Savior. And it, we, we do that sometimes here. And so Fahar bowed his head and closed his eyes and J.D. began leading him in the sinner's prayer asking Jesus into his heart. And he said, I got about halfway through and he said, Fahar, stop. 
sorry to stop. He said, but you realize what this means for me, don't you? He said, you realize that, that people in your, that your next step is going to be baptism. It's the first step of a, of a new believer in Christ. And you realize that people in your country are not going to take that lightly. You realize that people in your country, that your family might kick you out because you get baptized. You realize that you might lose your job for getting baptized. You, you realize that people in your country could kill you if you become a follower of Jesus. And Fahar said, yes, I'm ready. He said, well, well Fahar, aren't you scared? And Fahar said, of course I'm scared. He said, why do you think it took me a month to work up the nerve to meet with you? He said, but this is what I know. I know enough of the Christian gospel that, the, that you were going to tell me that the man I saw in my dream was Jesus. And I made a decision that if Jesus really is God and he really did die for me, then I'm going to follow him no matter what the cost. He said, I don't want to die and I don't want to lose my family and I don't want to lose my job. But if I could not have Jesus and my family, I'll take Jesus. And if I can't have Jesus and my job, then I'll take Jesus. And if I could not have Jesus and my life, then I will take Jesus. Now you see, your salvation and my salvation might not have been that dramatic, but the basics of it are still the same. Coming to faith in Jesus means that you will take Jesus over everything else every single time. You will take Jesus over the cares of the world. You will take Jesus over the things that you go through. You will take Jesus over your family. Jesus has to be number one in your life. He's more, more, more important than money, more important than fame, more important than a relationship. You remember the old hymn? I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches and trouble. You say, well, Pastor, where do I start? Start with the small things. You, you start with the very first act of obedience. For some of you, that may be baptism. The very first thing that Jesus Christ asks of you in, in walking faithfully for him walking down into a baptismal pool and say, you know what? I want to let everybody else know that I've become a follower of Christ. Hey, Fahar is saying, I'll risk my life to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And all we're asking you to do is to, to show everybody else so that we can celebrate this. Very first step, small step. For some of you, it's taking a step of faith. Uh, maybe the, the Lord has been putting something on your heart, maybe a sacrificial gift or something like that, that, that you need to be faithful in giving. Maybe it's ending a certain relationship because it's not healthy to your relationship with Christ. Maybe it's getting involved in a, in a small group or getting involved in, in ministry. Maybe it's finally this morning you surrender your life to Jesus like the heart. You don't, you don't go through the motions anymore. 
It's not just you, you playing a game and coming to church. Maybe this morning the Spirit of God is saying, today I want you to surrender your life to me. No more playing games. Maybe it's getting involved in our mission locally with our service city ministry. Maybe it's getting involved with our there with Toronto. Maybe it's getting involved with, with Haiti or, or Indonesia. But you've got to have a biblical view of stewardship. God has blessed you to make a difference. Not so that you can live it up here in America. Father, may we give you everything we have. Lord, would we love you? Would we serve you? May we make much of Jesus. Father, let your glory be made known here at this invitation. Thank you for being good to us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, listen. If the Spirit of God is pointing out an area in your life where you need to respond, would you come? We're going to stand and we're going to sing and just walk down the aisle pastor, here's what the Spirit is saying. Maybe you don't even want to talk to me. Maybe you just want to get on your face before the Lord. That's fine. But however the Spirit of God is leading you, you, you respond in obedience. Would you stand?